0: Um, it's so great to be here this morning and I am just very joyful to, um, share the Word of God. Um, so let's get started. We are in Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12 today, and I think they should come up there. And it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So to start, I wanna remind us what we've been talking about Advent and what it means. And Advent is a period of preparation for the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. And at Christmas, and at the same time, is a time of preparation for the second coming of Christ. So I'm one of those people that, before I commit to a book or a series, I actually want, like to watch the second to last episode. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm nuts. Uh, But if I'm going to invest hours, potentially, of my life, I want to make sure that I'm not going to be left in a cliffhanger, right? And uh, yes, that's wild. But it is who I am, so that's how it goes. So with that in mind, I will tell you exactly what I hope to convey today. Um, God, in infinite wisdom, chose people whom the world, and even we, wouldn't have chosen to welcome his one and only son to earth. As we've heard the last couple of weeks, God chose the imperfect, the outcasts, the other of this world, to demonstrate his abounding love and grace. So today my goal is to share how faith and a hunger to know the truth and trust in God's word and prophecies led to hope and obedience. Hearts that obey when God spoke and called them, whether they felt worthy or not, obey knowing that they could trust God at his word, expecting him to show up because of his character. He is faithful, and his promises are true. So it is my hope that through their example, we grow in our hope and faith in God's word. So first things first, and some of you might already know this, but I want to start with clearing two major misconceptions about the Magi. I know that most of us have heard about the three Magi, kings, or wise men, name interchanged. Um, And in some instances, we've even heard their names, right? Like Gaspar, Melchior, Melchior? And Balthazar. Um, but so we are going to, so after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, I think the verse should be up there in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the East came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Scripture doesn't really tell us if there were truly three, four or more Magi, but tradition has dictated this number partly because of the three gifts, Right. So now for a bit of his, for a historical tangent here, which, you know, should be par for the course if you've been coming to Antioch Quincy and listening to Danny preach, um, it should be comforting, you know, an alignment of our preaching. So where did the three Magi come from? In the third century, Christian writer Tertullian notes that people from the East were regarded as wise men, almost as kings. And Caesarius, Bishop of Ares, preached a sermon openly um, assuming the men, the wise men's royalty, right? But not until the 10th century, their artistic representations begin to show crowns on their heads, assuming they were kings. There's also a suggestion that Isaiah and the ancient psalmist may have contributed to this regard. The psalmist's description of kings coming from Eastern regions and the prophet Isaiah's reference to Eastern rulers uh, bearing gold and frankincense, combined to serve as biblical support for the developing tradition. For the psalmists, the kings bring presents to the king's son, right? Psalm 72, 1, verses 10 and 11. And then for Isaiah, their riches are gifts presented when God's glory appears upon his people. So Isaiah 60, verse 3 and 6 says, Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah. And all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. So the second misconception is that if you've ever seen a manger, or most Christmas representations have magi right there during Jesus' birth. Uh, with the angels and the shepherds, and it's pretty crowded. Um, but that's not really the case. Uh, they were more likely had arrived when Jesus was a couple months old or even toddler age. And a um, little spoiler ahead, alert here. Herod's response to this is to order old boys to and under um, to be killed after the Magi didn't return to him. But if you want to find more of that, please read Matthew 2, 13 through 18, um, which we sadly won't get into today, but like I said, highly encourage you to go check it out. And so let's look a bit deeper and learn about who these men were and how they intrinsically are connected to the story of Jesus. We know that the Magi were wise men from the east, most likely Persia or modern-day Iran. There should be a map over here. This means that the wise men traveled a bit over 900 miles to see Jesus, Ah, no map. Okay. Well, (laughs) there's also another one that should show a Google map here of how long it would have taken us. So approximately it would have been 235 hours um, traveling. And that is if it was a straight trip. They most likely were bringing camels, tents, setting up, pitching them. And so that trajectory, that trip must have taken them a long, long time. And so these men um, were really, really wanting to meet Jesus, right? Um, they were aware also and attentive of the, to the scrolls and prophecies of Jesus, more so even than some of the Jewish scholars and priests of the time. Most likely, the Magi knew of the writings of the prophet Daniel, who in time past had been the chief of the court seers in Persia. You can find that story in Daniel 9, 24-27, and also there, there's a prophecy which gives a timeline for the birth of the Messiah. Also, the Magi may have been aware of the prophecy of Balaam, who was from the town of Pethor on the Euphrates River near Persia. In Numbers 24-17, Balaam's prophecy specifically mentions a star coming out of Jacob and it says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. So the Magi were very, very direct with King Herod, and they didn't stand on royal protocol. They asked him straight away for the king of the Jews. Mind you, that must have been really awkward because Herod was supposed to be the king of the Jews. Um, So it makes sense that he felt a little threatened uh, when they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And again, it says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they reply, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come out a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. I want you to notice that Herod, whether he meant it or not, did not ask, oh, ask where the Messiah was born. Not if the Messiah was going to be born. Right? So I don't know how long it took the chief priests and teachers to locate these scrolls, to find the information for Herod, but they were aware. And even in Herod's, in his selfishness, his insecurity and wickedness, he knew. He knew one greater than him had arrived. Um, In verse 9, we see again, after they had heard the king, The Magi went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over a place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The Magi obeyed the call to see the Messiah. They they were, by all intents and purposes, outsiders. They were invited to celebrate Jesus as the one and promised Messiah. When they arrived to meet Jesus, I can hardly imagine the joy they must have felt. Scripture says they were overjoyed. And after such a long journey, and what I imagine were hours, if not years, of pouring over writings and prophecies to see the miracle and gift of God had bestowed upon humanity, it must have been incredible, so they could do nothing else but bow down in worship and adoration. And as I mentioned, the magi brought three gifts: um, the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh. And these are hold a great symbolism. Gold is a symbol of kingship uh, and kinship on earth. Frankincense, frankincense as incense, is a symbol of his deity or his priesthood. And myrrh, which is an embalming oil, is a symbol of death, which this reiterates who Jesus was gonna be and who he was promised to be that he would hold the kingdom and the title of high priest, and that through his death and resurrection, we would be made free. So Jesus was and is the fulfillment of God's promises. Um, then in verse 12, we see God giving a warning to the Magi through dreams. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. God himself spoke through dreams to what could be considered outsiders, right? Well, they were outsiders. So nothing is impossible for him. He can talk to whom he chooses to speak to. He invited those who would be considered foreigners into a monumental life-altering event. And their trust was so great They defied convention and royalty, risking their own lives since they did not return to give Herod an update. Jesus is our promised hope. Jesus is the hope for the world. From the beginning, his intention was to be known, that his word and love would be renowned. He invites us to share his love, to share his gospel all over the world. God can use and will use whom he chooses to bring his good news to others. He chose an engaged couple with no worldly means or influence to parent and raise Jesus. He announced his birth to shepherds, kept his promise to Simeon and Anna, who for years waited in expectation for the birth of the Messiah. And he gave prophetic revelation and brought magi from the East to worship the born king. Likewise, Um, Regardless of our family history, our ethnicity, or place in society, we have been invited to the family of God because someone obeyed the calling of God. Someone in faith, hope, and expectation prayed for us and shared God's truth, the gospel with us, and invited us to worship Jesus as our Savior and King. I could almost guarantee here that nobody's ever heard of a man named Jeff Adams, and if you have, let's chat at the end. Um, But he, Jeff, served as a pastor in Kansas City, Missouri, and over 40 years ago, he heard God call him to the mission field. He heard the the promise God had of multiplying his kingdom, so Jeff moved to El Salvador, with his family, and he started a very small church there that in a few years grew, and that as teenagers, my parents attended that church. And they ended up giving their lives to Christ, meeting each other, marrying, having kids, right? Um, And so my parents taught me about the love of God and his mercy, and they introduced me to the freedom the gospel of Jesus offers. By God's mercy, I gave my life to him when I was six, and to this day, I choose to live my life in surrender to him. Jeff's obedience to get up and go and share the gospel is how I stand here today. I am part of an inheritance of obedience that he will receive. And if you really stop and think about it, it's also kind of weird on so many levels. Because how did I end up in Quincy, Massachusetts, right? Me, a foreigner, born in El Salvador, whose first language is not even English. Um, I've lived in four different states, four different countries, yet for this moment in time, God has me here in Quincy in front of all of you, proclaiming the birth of Jesus, my Savior. God in His purpose is new. This is where I would be today. Just like He knows each and every one of you, and He loves you with a depth we can't comprehend. He invites us to walk with Him. He invites us to walk with him. I just want that to sink in. He wants us to share it with him in his love, the sacrifice of Jesus and the comfort of the Holy Spirit with, with those around us. For some of us, that could be at work. For some of us, that's at school or at the carpool, at the park. That's a state of for some of us is going to another country or another continent. But I wanna invite us all that when we hear the voice of God calling, we respond. When we see his hiding, his guiding hand, let's be obedient and go. We might never know the effect that we may have, just like Jeff, I mean, he knows, but he might not know the extent of what his obedience and sacrifice did, right? And just in faith and obedience, like the magi move forward, I want to invite us to do that. Advent invites us to be expectant and ready for Jesus, because He is coming back. And just as the magi waited in an expectation for Jesus' birth, we too wait in expectation for His return. As Matthew 12:21 says, "Jesus, in His name. The nations will put their hope. Jesus is our hope, um, and so with that, I know this was very concise, um, but I I I'm just so expectant and excited about what God is doing in our midst and how He He's always moving, and we don't have to be perfect or be polished to to serve Him. So I want to invite. Um, band to come up. And I have two invitations today. Um, And after I give these, we'll also have some people up here to pray with you and for you. But I want to encourage you that if you have not yet met Jesus as your Savior, open your heart to him today. He's eager to fill you with his peace. He doesn't ask us to be anything but ourselves. And all it takes is acknowledging that He is your Savior and surrendering your life to Him. That your life from this day forward is His. And for those of us who know Jesus, I want to invite us to spend some time asking the Holy Spirit where in our lives He wants us to wait in hope and expectation, to have faith and obey Him to what He is calling us to do. Where does He want our yeses? Where does he want us to get up and go? Thank you.